So You Want to Be an Artist is now on YouTube as a video series too. So if anyone prefers watching their podcasts and conversations, then head over to YouTube, the So You Want to Be an Artist YouTube channel. And this episode is now live on there too. One of the biggest problems I have as a fine artist is showing the work. Not because I'm um, somehow ashamed or not not proud. I, d I don't really have a relationship with, with what I make. I have a relationship with the process. And the bit where you have to show it to other people in the gallery and share it is awfully painful for me because I'm not interested in it. I'm interested in the experience of making it and what I learn about myself and what I can do with myself and how I can further expand my consciousness. It's actually good coffee. I can do it. Never too young to see the light. Or too old, in fact. The older you are, the easier it becomes, I hope. No. <laughs> the harder, to be honest. You might have the experience, but you lack the energy. Very valid. Mm -hmm. Let's just jump straight in. Okay, boo. Um, so weighing up the idea of introducing you, we've done one of these before, so for anyone who hasn't heard that conversation, probably go and listen to it. But as a very brief summary, you were a dancer who became a filmmaker who went on to work with pretty much every big artist in the world in the 90s and the early 2000s then transitioned into fine artist slash photographer. Documentary first. Documentary. Um, and the last time we spoke and sat down and had one of these conversations, you actually hadn't jumped into or made the transition into fine artist. No, I had not. There's a lot of ground to cover. Five years or so, isn't it? it it's about four, five mm -hmm. years. But the first place we'll start is the same place mm -hmm. we start with every guest. What is art? Uh, for me, art is an opportunity to open up a channel. Um, and that channel is to whatever one wants to find to define as divine energy. It's a pure channel. It's a space where you don't exist. You're not in control of it. Um, you're a guest. You're a caretaker. And if you're lucky, um, and great artists are lucky, they manage to not only open up the channel, but allow stuff to come through it. How do you get to that understanding of art? I think witnessing it. I think looking at the lives of artists, um, both ones I've worked with and ones that I admire, and being exposed to the struggle, being exposed to the glory, and knowing them both as imposters, um, and trying to find some place of stillness in between that vulnerability and that agony and that joy. And I always came back to the same thing. If you really look at Francis Bacon or... Um, a Prince or a David Bowie or a Marina Abramovich, any of those kinds of artists, they, they all share vulnerability. But the ones that survive um, have the courage to face that vulnerability. Do you mean survive literally or survive in terms of legacy? I don't think legacy is important. I think survive literally. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a heavy burden to um, channel art, I think, if you do it properly. It's an interesting 
launch point that joy and suffering are both imposters. Did I say joy and... and... I don't know. What did you say? The suffering and the glory. Yeah, there can be no agony in in divinity. There can be no joy in um, divinity either because it's a pure source. So it doesn't sit on a spectrum anywhere. It's right in the center. It's zero. So it's it's imposterous or impossible to define art as joyous or art as agony because it's too fine. The the, the margins are too narrow. Mm. That I think it moves us because of that simplicity. Uh, Krishnamurti talks a lot about why do we as humans take very complex issues, um, very simple issues, and make them very complex. It's because we have a brain and because we overthink and we, we're romantic and we're vulnerable and. We're hopeful. And, and that's also the nature of God <laughs> itself, to take something whole and, and shatter it and make it incomplete. Nature of God or the nature of, of energy? Well, the na- you know, it, it, once we get into these conversations, the word God becomes so subjective. I think for me, the energy is there, but the intention to disperse it is where God steps in. Because the energy, the energy is pushed through the channel somehow it has momentum somehow you know as an artist you can open up the channel but if the river doesn't have its own current if it doesn't have somewhere it needs to be which is the ocean then it won't rush through it it would just be a a stagnant uh like a swamp i don't agree with that okay well i mean it's it's nature no the 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 channel exists and the river is flowing Mm. it's it's never stagnant you might miss it you might be the still one might miss the movement of the channel but divinity by nature divinity by purpose is is movement it's it's it's, it's our job to um to capture it so martha graham said you know your job as an artist is not to compare yourself to others to question your work or even to value your work your job is to open up a channel and let it be we're agreeing mm. that's why god for me isn't just necessarily energy god is energy in motion the energy is its own its own thing. The motion is its own thing. The direction is its own thing. And together, the, the duality of that creates God, in my mind anyway. If the energy isn't kicked off into a certain direction, it's just potential. As we've spoken about many times, it's just potential. What potential needs is direction, is, is action. Potential doesn't need anything. Potential is. It's full stop, it's period. Potential is not... Um cause and effect potentially is zero gravity is it's the it's the zero-ness of the nothingness of completeness if you like so i don't believe that energy or potential or divinity needs us or needs anyone to kickstart it it invites us to um be its tool it invites us to surrender to it if if we choose to and if we've got the courage to but it will continue um without us it doesn't need us to do anything when you say us, do you just mean humans or do you mean life itself? Um, I mean, when I say us, I'm in the first person referring to humanity, I guess, because we're human and we can only judge how we interact with the universe on our basis. But if I think of it on an astrophysical or quantum physics level, I'm talking about anything that has a molecule, mm. anything that has atomic, anything that Everything this vibrates, side of being. Mm-hmm, anything that has consciousness, if you like. Mm. Uh, consciousness, as we define it, awareness of our consciousness, our ego, um, is where we get into trouble. 
because we start to place value judgments on on what we're capable of or what we can instrumentalize or how we can manipulate um, clay, other humans, energy, all the rest of it. But I think that's a fool's paradise in a way because I think it's going to happen and it's happening. Um, the Big Bang or other Big Bangs or the smallness of us is is what I think we we don't focus on enough and we don't give the universe its props to let it be bigger than us. I don't want to evolve the conversation on too far because I, think, I actually think there's a good conflict between us. In, and me. Yeah, in this, in this space of where you don't think divinity needs reality. That's like the complete flip side of my whole uh, foundation of, I guess, just my perspective, is that actually we're in a mutual, mutually dependent relationship with the divine. When you have this imbalance of servitude, servitude and master, like that, that creates a problem because you're shrinking yourself too much or at least not giving yourself the props of that actually wait i'm i am just as important in this thing there is a reason and a purpose for my being whatever that thing is i think i'm in servitude to it's actually in servitude to me also because it needs me to express itself so there's a mutual dependency going on here, which I find correlates with personal relationships and, and creation and just all of the things that reward me in life. That mutual dependency is something that needs to be focused on, not this servant-master dichotomy. Even though there is beauty in that longing, actually there's an even ground between here and whatever that thing is. So um, just unpack that a minute. Does the power in these cables need you to plug something in to exist? The, the current is, is constant throughout everything, but it doesn't come through this channel until you pull that. It's not like at the end of the light bulb and I press the thing and then it comes on. It's like, obviously, it's a very quick process, but you pull it and then that's like, oh, open channel, I'm off in a bit. Open channel. So you open the channel and the light expresses itself. Yeah, the channel has to be opened yes. for, for, for its light to be known. And that's exactly what I'm saying with the nature of God is that actually we, he, what does God lack? Limitation. He needs the limitation. He, it needs the limitation of being, of life and death and that whole dichotomy to be able to experience space and time because... Otherwise, it's just in this space of nothingness and everythingness. Yeah. Potential needs reality. Why does it? To express. But why does it need to express? This is the question. This is something that I just wrote yesterday over and over and over again. Why is love, expression, freedom, peace so rewarding? Why? To what end? Love is a great, um, great metaphor for purity, I guess. Mm. And the reason love or um, empathy or compassion make us feel good is because I believe in those moments you're as close to pure energy as you can be. And pure energy is being zero, the, the nothingness. You, you know my, my, my Gandhi... Um, be nothing. 
No, no, no. The, the the Gandhi story when when he took over when he when he liberated India. What do you aim to be? I aim to be nothing. Yeah. Um, so for view, your viewers, when Gandhi was offered the world when he liberated India, he chose to take nothing, and everyone told him that he had no ambition, and they were disappointed in him. In him, and his response was, "I am the most ambitious man alive because my aspiration and my ambition is to be zero. It's the biggest number. It has the most potential. So love, empathy, compassion." I think, pull us closer to the nature of pure existence, which is what a baby is born with. It's what um, nature has when um, it expresses an acorn that becomes an oak. The, 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 the oak is in the acorn already, but we don't see it. And it might take 100 years for it to grow into something majestic, but trust me, the acorn is already the oak. So that potential is purity, that pure essence. In my new house, I have a beech tree, a grand old beech. Now, it's been in the garden for 70 years, but there's been nothing else growing in the garden. So this beech tree has just flourished, and it's magnificent. And everyone who comes around, they're like, how on earth did, does that exist? But the, the beech tree has grown without competition, therefore it's flourished into its nature. It's a pure beech tree. It's what every beech tree should be if it was allowed the compassion and empathy to grow into its own space. So when you talk about love and compassion and empathy, my translation of that, of why it feels good, is because we're close to nature in that moment. We're close to purity. We're close to nothing. This is what baffles me. Why is it... Why do you have ecstatic mystics and ecstatic poets? Well, actually, no, I'm answering my own question. Because you, you do have the ecstasy, and then you have someone like Francis Bacon who is probably ecstatic, but in the dark end of the spectrum. Are you saying ecstatic or ascetic? A ecstatic. So there's ecstasy, mm -hmm. but also if it's to truly be a, a pure thing, it needs to be as, equal, as equally ecstatic as it is horrific. Okay, so my take on that is the Bacons and the Caravaggios and the... Um... Barbara's, to, to what we know of this world, the reason they're ecstatic, or the reason they um, bumble around or bump around in um, that much volatility is because I believe, and this is a new thought, so I haven't said it before, so let's see where it goes. The first step towards purity is chaos. So if we're going to accept that we want to be a divine channel. If we want to open up our, our um, existence to what comes through us, and you know well, I've, I've often said a good photograph is not taken, it's given. Um, I'm not in power when I'm, I'm with a camera. I'm not taking a photograph. I'm waiting for one to be given to me. So if you, if you can be a servant of beauty in that fashion, if you can step into that role and go, here I am, open, show me, give me, let me, I surrender. That's a massively vulnerable position to be in. So the ego, the protector of the, um, of the physical body, the conscious part of our mind, immediately steps up into primal protective mode and creates this chaotic, um, volatile character within the character to protect him, the bacon or the Faber or the Ambromovich or whoever is close to the margins of, of what's acceptable to do in art. Bowie was the same. I guess um, Gilbert and George most definitely are, are in that, but they're very calm versions of it. Um, British, I suppose, very contained. So that volatility that's in great art and great artists, I think is the first step towards 
zero gravity. It's something you have to pass through to become. Often all the gurus talk about becoming. Well, actually, I believe what you're becoming is nothing. Mm. You're, you're going back to the source, which is constant, which is there, and it's so hard to um, access. And I've told you before, so often when I'm photographing someone, especially in, in what we call the fine art practice or the portrait stuff I do, the temperature of a room changes when honesty enters. I felt it on my skin. You've been there when it's happened. Something, it's, it's like a ghost has walked in. And so many times, because I'm crap at photography, I'm looking down at my camera trying to work out, work out what button I should press or whether it's exposed properly or what happy accident might happen if I surrender to it. And something happens and I look up and the subject is in truth. And I, and I know it to be an absolute because I felt it on my body, on my skin, in my soul. I felt it. So... The reason I, I talk so much about channels and about divinity being nothing to do with us um, is because that's my, that's my experience of it. When I get out of the way, it's present. And when I surrender to my vulnerability without chaos, that's when I think you can do good work. I had like a vision once of where I, I've retraced the, the, the lineage of absolutely everything in the cosmos. And then it's like meditation, essentially. Pulled everything back to the source. And then once I packed it all back in, I got to experience it. And I experienced silence for the first time in my life. It was like complete, pure serenity. And I just broke down. I was seeing into a white chamber. It was like, like, like the inside of a space shuttle, almost. It was nothing in there, but it was just complete peace and it broke me down completely. But then I like met another figure in that space mm -hmm. and I kind of like looked at him. It looked, just looked like a younger version of me, to be honest. And I looked at him and I was like, I like, was like, what now? And then he looked back and was like, that was completely maddening to me because it's like, I don't, I realized the longer, if I spent much longer there, I would have just lost my mind. So it's that, I, so this is another, not a resentment. It's another question I would like to be able to ask or just, or, or have the answer to. That place of purity, mm -hmm. is it so unbearable that nothing can exist there, even the purity itself? That's a really good, good point. Um, The most volatile part of the storm is its center. It's also the calmest part of it. The eye of the storm is where all the good shit happens. So yes, of course, um, when we get close to that center, when we get close to any kind of purity, it's very volatile and it's quite scary and it's crushing. You have to go past that. And the next step of it is is where you start to get into what I would call the, um, the, um, the absence of effort. Where, where again, in, in, in meditative terms, they say you, you begin your meditation practice and it's so super hard. There's all sorts of different schools. Think nothing, think of everything, allow everything, don't allow anything, empty your mind, blah, 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 whatever. But the first step is you maybe achieve five, five minutes meditation. Mm. You have a great time. You think, oh, that was cool. I did five minutes of stillness, mindfulness, whatever we want to call it. Then you do 10 minutes. And that's oh, that's brilliant. A week later, you've done 15 minutes. Six months later, you've done two hours. Blah, 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 on and on, on until after 20 years... You, you've managed 23 hours meditation and then you get to 24 hours and then you don't do any more meditation because you are meditation. 
that's the space that we're talking about. It's a space beyond. Rumi would say um, in the poem, there is a field somewhere where blah, blah, all, the, all the, that beautiful poem that he writes. So what I think you're talking about in your vision there is as close as you've yet got to your truth. Mm. And it's super maddening because the truth doesn't speak back. It just says, here I am. Yeah. It's for you to work out what, it, what, what, what to do next with it. I think I think the reason most people can't find peace or can't find enlightenment is because it's not lost. Mm. So those seekers of of um, a pure existence, they're looking in the wrong place because it's not outside; it's inside. Yeah, but it's where you are. So trying to access purity is not an external journey; it's an internal journey. So the chaos of looking in is where all the work is. Really, that's 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 the hard stuff. Yeah, I just, I just have, and, and this is probably just a complete projection of how I feel about myself, or maybe this is how I view my inner child or whatever, but I just see whatever God is to be a lonely child who just needs something or someone to play with. And that's why I see everything, the beauty and everything, because I see how much it's all necessary the, the that's a reflection yeah so um you're looking for god in in a place of loneliness because you've experienced great loneliness like anybody who seeks truth mm. it's a lonely lonely place to go so um the um the eastern mystics would say reality is whatever you attend to so if you attend to loneliness that's your reality if you attend to science that's your reality and there's a big debate about consciousness and meditation at the moment between science and mysticism. And the mystics are all quite chill about it. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, fine, it's great that if you drop an apple and you can prove gravity, what about the mind? And then another 100 years of science goes by and they go, oh, well, we and can, we can smash an, um, a, a particle together and we created Higgs boson. And, and they go, yeah, we've proved this. And the mystics go... Yeah, great. What about the mind? Yeah, yeah. And then the scientists carry on and do some other tests because well, they're, they're not interested in the mind. Even the other way around, books like 12th century Persian poetry, not just Rumi, before that, there's a really good book called Secrets of the Rose Garden. Mm -hmm. It's like they've been talking about black holes since the 12th century. Like they've, they know what science can be like. This is already here. It already exists in the art and in the poetry and in the symbolism and even in the archetypes. It's, it's already there. That Science is just validating the mysteries that we already know of. Yes, yes, yes. But I think what we have to try to do, and you're a visual person and you're also an artist, so you create stories around everything which suit <laughs> the form that you want to take in your art. But it's a barrier, actually, because unless you start to look at what's out there, as also what's in there, who's to know that the universe out there is not exactly the same as the universe in there? Oh, no, I believe that, for yeah. sure. But attend to it. So let's all stop looking out and start looking in yeah. and explore that. Your mate Alan Watts, he will say, you know, what do you see through your eyes? You see whatever you feel. So if you feel shit, you see shit. This, last night I saw my family. It was a beautiful thing. I saw my sisters and my brother and my brother's fiance and... And we all talked a lot about uh, beautiful things, Christmas, all all the lovely family stuff you do and, and old rivalries stepped up and my brother told lots of jokes and my sister got uncomfortable. All, all sorts of lovely. And then I woke up this morning and I did my little meditation and then I did some research on stuff and then I knew I was coming to see you. And my life was joy this morning. And I bounced in here and the first thing I said to you is, hey, hey, and I'm, well, I'm super happy. 
because what's what I'm seeing out of my eyes is joy because I've I've been in touch with compassion, empathy, and love last night, and I'm coming to see one of my favorite people. So my existence is joy because I'm placing myself in joy. Mm. So my reality is joy. I'm agreeing with you, yeah, especially about the the inward journey will tell you everything you need to know about the outward journey. And I believe that we've been here for a very long time and we haven't had the technology or the resources to make the outward journey. So we've done the only, we've used the only tools and landscapes that we have, which is ourselves and nature, and figured out enough about that that we're now validating with science. That was essentially my point, is that we're almost going round in circles. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that because I think we're limited by our brains. So if you, if you take time, you, you just mentioned going around in circles of time. I don't know about that because I think... Our brain is infused by what comes in, the knowledge we gain through experiences we have. But all knowledge, all experience is limited to the individual. So therefore, that follows that the brain and our consciousness, figured out through our brain, is limited by time and thought. Those two, con con those two contributors, time and thought, are illusions because they're, they're limited by what we've experienced. All you are, all I am, is a whole bundle of memories. It's in the in the um, in the film I sent you yesterday between um, Krishnamurti and, and Pupal Jayaka. Incredible conversation, and he proposes that actually all we are is memories, and that limits us greatly because in, unless and this is where meditation comes in, unless we can cease the noise of our memories and stop defining our future by what we've experienced, we're, we're not free. We're, we're shackled to our experience, and that does not allow us to move forward and invite anything new or exciting or different in. So he talks often, and I thought it was really good you said it a minute ago, he says sound is um, silence, with words or something like that. So he, he defines sound as something that you can hear even if there are no words. Mm. So it's listening without hearing and not being, not being baffled or perplexed by what the noise is out there, but actually hearing the energy that's out there. And I think that's the work, that's the journey, is let's, how, how carefully can I listen to silence and not be frightened of that silence? Alan Watts, again, talks a lot about... Um, um, sensory deprivation being akin to taking LSD. Now, if you've got the guts for it, it can be an amazing trip. But if you haven't got the guts for it, it can destroy you. I did it on my birthday, actually. What, LSD or sensory deprivation? Sensory deprivation. Oh. It was interesting. Well, it's... it's it's. I imagine I haven't done it. Um, but it, it must be the purest form of silence that you can get. It was boring, I'm not going to lie. There was great, it was great in the beginning, but similarly, like my vision and my, my interaction with, with whatever I, projection I made of God, that pure energy, I got bored and I wanted experience and I wanted to share and I wanted to live. And I, towards the end of it, I was like, what, the, what am I doing? How long was it? It was an hour. I went some crazy places, I'm not going to lie, and I had some great revelations, and it was terrifying as well as it was ecstatic. But towards the end, I just thought, what am I doing? What is the point? This need, if I'm going to learn anything here, 
it can't exist in isolation. It needs to be shared. And even if I don't learn, learn anything here, there's only so far I can go in this isolation. So do you believe that you have to share physically in order to share um, consciously? Yes, because everything around me suggests so. If, everything around you is an illusion, though. It's created by no, what you see. It's not. Everything around me is not an illusion. Something exists, which means that nothing slash everything should not or, or will not ever exist. It's all here and now for a reason. This is all being expressed, whether it's an illusion or not. It, something is still being expressed, expressed. And I have to look at it as not a freak accident, as something intentional and something necessary and purposeful. And I think, well, what could be the purpose? Because it's amazing and it needs to be shared. That's, that's a, the end of that. Like, who am I to question God, you know? Like, I've tried and I've cursed and I've shook my fist at the sky and I've, and I've, I've blasphemed and I've said, you piece of shit, how fucking dare you make me just to destroy me, just so you can have a bit of fun. And I was punished for that. <coughs> Who punished you? Him. It. God. I was hit. It felt like I was hit by lightning and I, I just started throwing up. And it was just absolutely horrible. And it was, it was a real punishment. It was like a real physical experience as well as a visceral emotional experience. So go, go back one step. You said, you piece of shit, why did you create me just to destroy me? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, how come this energy gets to be infinite, yet me... This is obviously when I was a little bit more sat back in my ego. I, I just get to be your finite experience of, you know, what it's like to grow up in these conditions or see life through these eyes. It's just like a... a, a how dare how dare you use me for a bit of understanding, if you know what I mean? Like, my very limited understanding and awareness, like everybody else's, pulling up into whatever this higher power is. It was, it was essentially, I was just angry. Like, I've, I have to be born and then die while this fucking thing gets to just permeate. I was angry. It was resentful. You were resentful that you have a finite life or that you are a tool of his divi divinity? Both. One leads to the other. And so you think you're an experiment of God? A, 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 a An expression. An expression. One, one in a very high-resolution spectrum of, ex of expression, yeah. Is he benign or malign, your God? That's, that's what... That's the... Uh, deep existential root of every single person that needs to be resolved, I believe. You can't argue with the reality if we're going to abide by science, which, which we have to in this sense. Why? Because it's true. Why? If we, if we use the Big Bang... All right, Socrates. <laughs> if we use the Big Bang um, as, as our gospel, which... Judging by nature, we have to take as a universal truth, right? You know, the universe oh, yeah. started and it will finish and just like everything around me does, but fair enough. If we don't argue with that, or if we don't have a better argument or, or solution, then we have to go, all right, well, then there's intention. Was God, was this power lonely and needed a reflection 
Or was it so ecstatic that it needed to share the feeling? Am I here just to, to make sure that this force isn't lonesome, which means that it's a weak and fearful force, it, although still great and powerful? Or is this life about love, compassion, sharing, community, and harmony, which means that God is love and love is everyone? And that's... And I know I've been on this side. I've been on the wrong side of, of that judgment, essentially. Um, and, and that's what I think is happening in every single person. So let me ask this. Does the, Rome, does, does the rose know it blooms for just one summer? I don't know. I know I do. <laughs> you, but do you know you do? Well, I know I'm eternal because that same thing is eternal. And as long as that forces longing I get an opportunity I know that so I'm, for me what's beautiful about the roses and I have roses and um, when I was very troubled I took myself back to the country and I grew roses for two years and um, they're tricky because enough water enough light it's incredibly beautiful they're treacherous because they've got thorns and they don't like you and cut them, put them in a vase, you're somehow destroying them. But lo and behold, every um, autumn, the, the local gardener guy would come and he would brutalise my roses. And I would, I would be actually tearful at what he did. He'd take them right down to the lowest part of the um, branches that he could probably... And the first year he did it, I was like, why are you destroying the roses? And he went, I'm not, I'm feeding them. Because he knew next spring they'd start growing again and next summer the, the bloom would be better. Because underneath the ground, the, those roses have roots and formations that we don't necessarily see. And the rose itself that we see, the expression of that divinity, may be only passing through for one summer, but it's there forever. First, in our memory, because that's all we are anyway. And secondly, in physical form, its cousin comes back the next year on the same, on the same branch. Now, is that second rose, one year later, the same rose or is it a different rose? Or is it a different expression of the same rose? It's, it's the same rose. The, the question isn't if it... The question is, if it did know that it only bloomed for one summer, would it blossom at all? That's a good question. But it, it, I can't assume what the answer would be, but well, the well, dilemma... Why, why does it blossom? Because that literally the line of the first line of the song that I'm working on at the moment is what is being whispered from the sun to the flower come closer growth is the way that so that's it, it's compelled it's it's in awe there's no other or or it's a part of a bigger system okay yeah the rose is there to be a, a tool of the bee the bee is there to be a tool of the planet it create, it, there is a system yeah there is an architecture around nature and it's very, very finely tuned. You know, do you know, for example, that in a forest, if a deer bites um, a leaf off an oak tree, a mile down the road in the other side of the forest, another oak tree will send its leaves sour so the, yeah. the, the deer won't want it. There's a communication in nature that we don't, we're not witness to because it doesn't talk to us and therefore we don't think it speaks. Well, we are witness because we know that if a, if a drought is coming, the tree's closest to... Uh, whatever water source will send nutrients along the root system. So yeah. we, we do know that there is a communication and a community to nature as uh, brutal as it can be. So, so to answer your question, um, if the rose knew it only blossomed for one summer, would it bother at all? Yes, because within its 
purpose, its purity, is its job. Its job is to arrive, arise, um, decline, disperse, return. That's the job of a rose. It's part of the system. Yeah, judging by the rest of nature that knows that it only blossoms for a finite amount of time, which is us, judging on the complications and the knots that we tie ourselves into, can we have to assume that it would be a process of evolution for nature to get to the point of where it's okay with its finitude. Because the only difference between us and the rose is the awareness, and then the awareness prompts the question, why? It's a great arrogance to um, suppose as humans that the rose doesn't know what it's doing, because I believe the rose does know what it's doing. I believe that also. So it's, so it's, but there's, a, there's no separation there. That's the, we're talking about the fall, essentially, this, the split, this, the duality. There's no, there isn't a duality to nature. There's a very single-mindedness approach to it. Even though it can be considerate, as we've just spoke about, with nutrients and sending sour leaves and stuff, it can be considerate, but there's no... You don't see a rose killing itself and be like, no, I refuse. I'm not, I'm not doing it. You, you don't see that in nature. No, nature is not limited by morality. That's why. Explain. So our humankind in the last 2,000 years has developed systems of society whereby judgments are made about behavior of humans. And we have elevated ourselves above the animal kingdom. So therefore, animal primal behavior is frowned upon. Then religion came into it, and different religions do different things. I was talking to um, someone the other day about um, Prince Charles and or the, the royals, you know, and, and this code in the royal family that the heir is always allowed to have an affair, this, this history of our monarchy, and how disgusting that is. And yet then I watched another program where a couple of dames or baronesses were out in... in um, where were they, Mustique or somewhere like that? And they were talking, they were in the 70s, and they were like, you know, it was, I mean, it's just such a shame he didn't just have an affair. You get on with it. You get on with the job. So there is this weird morality in human nature that has been coloured by religion and by social norms and by all the different political systems that have evolved over the last couple of thousand years, and we get tripped up by it all the time. Because we think we're all powerful and all seeing, and therefore we have create this code based on morality. But nature doesn't follow that code. I've been in Africa where a lion has let a little animal walk straight past him because he wasn't hungry. So he's just like, oh, what are you? Morality is something that we've been dissecting in my house quite a lot recently, because obviously Byron is a ex Jehovah's Witness, mm -hmm. and James is a devout atheist. And we're talking about morals. And basically, we did a bunch of research and morals isn't a social thing. It's, it's hardwired. Babies as, as young as 12 weeks old have a moral system. They prefer uh, compassion and empathy and love, essentially, to... That's not morality. That's nature. No, that, that is... Well, so then we have to have the same conversation we're having at home, which is that morals are natural. And then, yeah, religion steps in and adds a couple more branches onto the thing to, to, uh, to vet invested interest, but morals are natural. Morality is unnatural. Morals are natural. Moral code, the North Star of, of behavior, if you like, is to do with, with survival, 
do with um, protecting one's tribe, um, and animals will do this also. But also animals are very cruel to the tribe. If, if someone's not pulling their weight in, in a wolf tribe, they'll bully that wolf and kick him out. If he can't do his job, he's out. Survival of the fittest. But in human behaviour, we, we get into, um, very quickly in fact, we get into naughty. Or you mustn't do that. That's not acceptable. Judgment. Judgment. Intolerance. Um, and that's, that starts at two years old. That starts at 12 weeks. They just did a study where they basically show a baby of, of 12 weeks. I think it's between 12 and 18 weeks is the earliest they managed to do it. And they show them three scenarios with puppets. Mm -hmm. One puppet is pushing a wheelbarrow up a hill and he can't quite do it. So the other puppet comes and helps him. And they show another one with a other puppet which pushes the barrel back down and doesn't help him. And then there's a one with a puppet that is neutral, just kind of just stands there and watches. And they have concluded, because of the tracking the baby's eye movement, that they always want to play with the puppet that helped out the um, other, puppet. other puppet and never wanted to play with the puppet who would push the wheelbarrow down and only wanted to play with the neutral puppet when it was between the neutral and the negative puppet. Yes, so that's primal. I would, I would say that's primal response. Yeah. Because our DNA is such that we... If you think over millions of years, we've gone from web feet to no webs because we don't need them there's, there's a dna there's an evolutionary process it's happening all the time i think and walls a baby's in a womb that's a wall but it's only a membrane it's not it doesn't mean the baby's not experiencing whatever the mother experiences whatever goes on in her life and also whatever her grandmother has experienced and whatever her great grandmother experiences because we're a process of change that's the only you could take the word life and remove it and use the word change I'm in the middle of my change because that's all we are is a constant changing beast of some kind. So babies in the womb are experiencing whatever the society is experiencing. So they come out with some kind of code, which is osmotic, if you like. So you, you don't necessarily think it's like a pure preference. You still think it's molded by... I, I, I'm a believer in purity as the state of nature. Yeah. And that's not, that doesn't mean bliss and that doesn't mean kindness. That means survival. So pure purity can be pure violence. It can be pure um, love. It can be, it's, it's whatever is required in the moment for the, for the pure channel to exist and maintain itself. You look at a swarm of bees. If there's something's threatening the queen, they will go mental. They don't know they're going mental as far as we know. It's just encoded. So I think as humans, we get very busy with judgment and with intolerance of anything that doesn't suit what we've been taught because we learn to hate people. We learn to hate what's other. We learn to hate what's different. And that's, this is not some preachy sort of anti-racism, pure love thing. It's just my experience of, of witnessing extreme art, endurance-wise, and um, from some stuff... I mean, I made a film and there were some scenes in the film that I really didn't want to film because I found them against my preferences. And I was like, I can't film that. But I had to get over it because my job was to film it. And as an artist, I had to give, in that documentary, I had to give a true picture of everything I was witnessing. Otherwise, I was, I was a false artist. So I had to get over my distaste of that particular thing that was going on and just 
surrender to it and go, okay, this is what this artist is doing. I'm exploring that work. I have to witness it. Because I have my own set of judgments and my own set of fears of experiences I've had and stuff that's frightened me or hurt me in the past. And so I bring that to the table every, every day I wake up. So the job to go back to your um, God is a lonely child um, analogy, the, the job of the seeker is to have a conversation with that lonely child, find out what's made it lonely, get behind the loneliness, to find the chaos in that loneliness, the fear in that loneliness, and behind that fear, the joy in that loneliness. Because they're equal, because they're both imposters, like I said at the beginning. There is no such thing as an extreme truth. There's only a single pure truth, and you have to sometimes bounce on both sides of the spectrum. Sorry to shake you. Um, to, to, to bring yourself into that stillness. So my practice is very much about trying to find time to be still, to be lazy, to be thoughtful and thoughtless in equal measure. I think that's, again, it's, I always, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't judge it too much, but I am hung up on it. But I know that the only thing that takes me out of the now is judgment. I know that the only thing that, that creates time, in my experience, has been judgment. Because time, if I, if I was to define it poetically, time is however long it takes me to get back to a place of purity. So I've... Time and thought, they're, they're connected. You can't take them, you can't separate them. Okay, okay. Well, I, mean, I mean time, and you can attach thought to that as well. Mm. So I know that whenever I've been kicked out of the now, it's because of a judgment that I've had, which makes me, now I try to understand God in that context. And I think, then, it, then I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, that's why you're lonely, because you made a judgment. That's a, what kicked it all out into space and time is like, is even, has to, has to be a judgment, surely. I don't understand. In my space, when I access purity... Have you ever? Yeah. Good for you. I haven't. I've been kicked out of it when I made a judgment, and then suddenly I see the ripples of time, and I'm in the ripples of time, and then it's my job to steady the ship and get back into that space. And so then I'm like, okay, well, isn't that symbolic of the whole universe itself? I was booted out of... Who booted you out? The, the judgment, the false presupposition itself. That's what booted me out. Because suddenly, like Krishnamurti, I'm thinking about the past. And then as a feedback loop starts happening of when I'm judging now that judgment. And now I'm judging the judgment of the judgment. So I'm, creating, I'm, I'm out into this abstract reality where I can't actually get a handle of what's true and what's just my false assumption. And then it's about breaking down all of those illusions and get and, and, and revisiting that place of purity. Which then, if I look at cosmically, makes this whole thing feel like uh, the result of something's judgment, something's moment of... I don't want to say weakness, because that comes with negative connotations, but a lapse of concentration, which is a beautiful sentiment you know mm -hmm. to, and that's what i mean about the mutual dependency the fallibility of of god itself because it 
I can't see it. I haven't experienced time without judgment. You haven't been able to escape from judgment through time. I haven't managed to have peace and time and judgment at the same time. I've had peace without judgment, which is then absent of time, but never the other way around. I've never had peace in... I would, I would propose that you've never had peace in that case. Uh, okay, well, go on then. Attack well, me. Because it's not an attack, <laughs> it's just an observation. Um, peace by nature is pure, and, and those moments of peace are fleeting, um, but they're existent, so therefore they're available. And one mustn't judge being in a moment of peace or out of a moment of peace, because you're in them both all the time, you're just on one side or the other of the fence. So our job, if we choose it, Mission Impossible, is to gravitate towards the side of that, that um, line where peace exists and um, witness peace not existing at the same time. So it's, it's, about, it's, it's about a balancing scale. You know peace is here and you know unpeace is there, so you've got to find your way to build enough weight on, on the unpeace side to balance you in the peace side. They're not, they're not different places. They're the same place, and you're in it right now. You're in peace, and you're in um, peril instant in, in every instant. That's what now is. So if, you, if you're volatile in... What I'm, what I'm trying to say is you cannot exist in a, um, a state of peace unless you evaporate and become pure energy. That's what all the gurus have said over time. Every guru who's meditated themselves into what they call samadhi or enlightenment, they come the fuck back. Because there's nothing to do. Yeah. So they've well, got Plato's cave. Yeah. You can't. You have to return to the cave. But, but that's that in itself is a sense of peace because to be able to witness peace and peril equally and go, all right, here I am in this, in this duality. I love you both. It's like your shadow self. It's like that does that just doesn't line up with my experience. There's been a very clear division. There's been a very clear absence of time and then a presence of peace and then the reverse, a presence of time and the absence of peace. And I'm able to detach from it and love it all anyway, but that true peace that was transformative, which was a real experience, this isn't an, an intellectual heady endeavor, this is a real feeling that once you are in it, it destroys you completely to the point of where you have to come back because you're like, no, whoa, absolutely not. Um, and then time again, you're back in time. So it's, it's for me, it's the, the, you stop time when you stop judgment. It's the loneliness of the long-distance runner at the end of the day. And, and, and you, you're not running for loneliness, but it's lonely running to peace. So you just have to know that the work is to continue. You have to just keep going. I know from experience the vulnerability of, uh, of being that close to purity. I've, you've, you've seen me experience it. It's incredibly volatile when, when you witness someone's um, absolute truth. And as a photographer or as an artist, you capture it help them get towards it um and, I, and i've seen it and it's a treacherous frightening place but it's no more treacherous or frightening than heaven that's why you look at we, we're talking about blake uh, you look at blake or you look at um bacon or you look at any of those types of artists who are who are trying to inhabit heaven and hell simultaneously because that's what we're supposed to do that's what the rose does it's both thorny and beautiful and it's finding an acceptance 
that we live in a generation where acceptance of duality is somehow considered as division. It's not division. There has to be a shadow to every thing because that's what light does. It creates shadows. And the longer we fight shadows, the longer we will be unhappy or unsatisfied. Until you face the shadow and look at it and go, all right, there's the shadow. Love that. Oh, God, there's the light. Love that. Until you can unmoralize it, until you can escape from your own morality of judgment of yourself. I did this, I shouldn't have done that. I said that, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I didn't do this, I should have done that. Until you can um, actually look at the things that you don't like that you do with uh, compassion, um, understanding, understanding, And acceptance, you're not going to get anywhere because it's it, it's it's not about repeating old mistakes over and over because they're all new and they're all now. But it's about when those mistakes happen, taking them forward. This, Does that make sense? Yeah, but this for me is where art steps in because it's separate. The for me, the best things, the best pieces the best experience of art I've had is when it's aware of all of the, the maddening duality of life, but it's also detached from it and is giving you a platform to observe it free from judgment where you can just experience it in its insanity, in its, in its ecstasy. It's just giving you that platform to just observe to put you in the seat of God, to not give you a judgment on it, but just to say, this is what it is. The other day when I sent you Most Deaf Lifetime, I was just sat at that desk just crying for, for 15 minutes Beautiful. because I was just in it and I had to wrestle myself. And it's the same with art. It's the same with psychedelics. It's the same with meditation. It's the same with sex. It's the same with any relationship but it's the same with anything good in life, is that it provides you with a space to detach from time, to detach from judgment, and just exist in, in total, in totality. Because you're above it. You're, I'm, and this is where I try to live my life. This is where I try to create from. I try to get above it. I try to look at it. I try to occupy the eye of God to not condemn it, in any way, but to look at it and just go, this is what it is. Isn't it funny? What, what a predicament. <laughs> yeah, I, th I, think the, I think the problem comes, we live in a society which overshares all of that. And we live in a society where product is above process. Um, we're making a film at the moment, and I watched um, an hour of it today. And I, again, it brought me joy. I don't care if no one else ever sees it. The fact that you made it with me and, and William did the run is enough for me. One of the biggest problems I have as a fine artist is showing the work. Not because I'm um, somehow ashamed or not, not proud. I don't, I don't really have a relationship with, with what I make. I have a relationship with the process. And the bit where you have to show it to other people in a gallery and share it is awfully painful for me mm. because I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the experience of making it and what I learn about myself and what I can do with myself and how I can um, further expand my consciousness so that I eventually do evaporate into some kind of cosmic energetic force and 
travel on to help other pieces of shit that float around the galaxy who are struggling with the idea of cosmic um, eternity. When I one day evaporate and become a part of that pure channel, I want me to come up and go, I want to be, I want to open the divine channel. Can, I, can you help me? And I want to be one of those particles in the divine channel which visits me in the future and goes, yeah, Phil, you can. But don't get wound up and don't get obsessed with sharing it because that's not the point. The point is for you to experience it. Not Helena, not Phil, not your mum, not my brother. The point of you is to experience the process of divinity in your lifetime. I hear you. Life was to be shared. Art is a service, not necessarily not just to yourself. That's one part of the puzzle. But, but it's like Plato, mm -hmm. back into the cave. Like you as an artist, out into the world and share what you found and bring people closer to God. The problem is, I have no issue with sharing. I have an issue with the anti-democratic process of sharing that has become the commercial world of art, the commercial world of entertainment, the commercial world of sport. Well, the truth is anti-democratic. The truth is the truth. It's, here you go. <laughs> There's a bridge to God is a bridge to God. It can't be seen as a... Uh, a as anything else other than that. No, but we don't live in those times where where the, where truth is is supreme. I mean, that's really very clearly obvious at Why? the moment. Why? Because everybody's got used to selling lies. Oh, because and people we, buy them. Because because why? Because people buy them. Yeah, because we live in a democracy. So art has to be anti-democratic. That's the whole point. Democracy doesn't work. Otherwise, we look at Brexit. Look at this fucking country. Look at anywhere where democracy democracy has existed. Also. The opposite of democracy doesn't work either. We haven't found a way for it to work. But when you have a democracy, you open up the channel to people who can pervert it through no um, ill intention of their own, just out of ignorance, just out of fear. Education. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what we've lack of people. education is ignorance in this no, day no, and no, age. No, I'm when not you... saying lack of education. They've been taught. Yeah. To, to okay. Yeah. 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 But people have have vested interest because it's, we live in a democracy and people have to buy uh, people's uh, support. Whereas art, it has to be anti-democratic because it's a statement. But it isn't anymore. That's my point. What isn't? Art is no longer anti-democratic. I mean, last night the Turner Prize was won and shared yeah. by four people. <laughs> yeah. That is the, the, the most um, sort of anti-pure thing that's happened in the last in in the in the history of no one wanted to win it yeah. because they didn't want to be in a competition which is beautiful but at the same time those four artists should have said we're not interested we don't believe in the turner prize yeah. instead of sharing a prize yeah. what well, you don't need a prize for being an artist you just it is a prize to be an artist mm. to be able to oh, it, oh yeah, yeah. Is, i promise you it, it is. for sure but with every prize comes a, a burden for sure yeah, but, but we, that's how we open the conversation. It's heavy to wear mm. um, any kind of crown and, and to try to be a king and to aspire to help others, to aspire to be compassionate, to, to aspire to be zero, that's kingship. To aspire to, to, to surrender yourself to the service of beauty is a kingly act, and that's heavy because you have to, you have to, subsume, you have to subsume, subsume, you have to subjugate and you have to submit nearly everything if you do it right. Because there's no reward. But now we live in this weird world. You know, my second exhibition. Suddenly people are buying my work for thousands of dollars and the gallery are like, you need to do more of that. 
And I'm like, well, I'm not there. That's not where I am. I want to do this. We don't think that'll sell. But I don't, I don't, I just did that. I, I've learned about, I'm interested in this now. I read this book and I want to, I want to explore this. Yeah, but maybe you can do that when you're, when you're established. I was like, I'm 50 years old. When the fuck am I going to be established? And I, beca- I came to fine art because I was tired of having a client as a commercialized. I was tired of having record companies and the system and advertising agencies and creatives who are frightened. There's so many amazing creative people who are frightened to express themselves because it won't go well with the board. So this, the, the, demo, the, the, the democratization of creativity in the last 50 years has destroyed it. You need to be um, a dictator in the studio. You need to be um, absolutely um, purely directed towards your goal. And you must not be concerned with whether it's going to be good or bad. It's like Barbara has said many times, the job of a scientist is to fail daily. Try, fail, try harder, fail more, try harder, fail better. That's that's the absolute role of an artist in society, is to be the one who fails consistently and is allowed to. But we live in a society now where our young people are only defined if they've got X number of Instagram followers or X number of likes or X number of this. So therefore, their work isn't good unless it's liked. That's not the point of art. It's not there to be liked. It's there to be expressed. So we're in this really, really bad, what you call um, a feedback loop of um, false priority. And and we've forgotten uh, how to access the pure channel and therefore, we're so far away from it, but we're, we all think we're in it. Everyone thinks they're in purity because they're, everyone's got a right to have a vibe and everyone's got a right to be an artist and we're entitled to be an artist. So you're facing the wrong direction. You've got to face the pain. You've got to look at the shadows and go, all right, if I go in there, what will happen to me? If I look at what scares me most, what will I understand about myself? That's how you unpack the lonely, um, the lonely God. You look at him and you go, what are you lonely for? What, what's frightening you? And he will answer you if you ask the right question in the right time, in the right space, and have the right amount of patience. Shit works itself out. I'm still kind of hung up on you saying that to share it is not the point. I say that in this current environment because the, the platforms of sharing are so polluted by aspects of commerciality. So unless you're a success... Um, you're not valid, but 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 you do believe that, sh- that sharing it is the important. I, I don't think it's the priority. I think it's a byproduct. I'm sharing with you because I like you and I enjoy you, and I know I'll have a good conversation with you and I'll learn something from you. So I come to share with you mm. that you're making a film and that you'll share it with others is a part of, uh, and because also it's it's totally undemocratic. You're not you haven't got a permission to do it. You haven't got a license to pay you haven't got anyone's anyone's there's no editor telling you what you can do or not do so it's a completely in, tyrannical invent, adventure yeah so it is it, there's purity involved in it um and i can embarrass myself i mean even that statement tyranny is pure tyranny is pure it's a few it's, it's of course it is you can't say that um that malcolm x and hitler were not both purists because they were Purity does not is not defined by white, not not race, by by what we consider to be good. Yes, yeah. again, the human the human condition is wrapped up with 
goodness, and it's a it's a mistake because we we from a Jungian perspective, we don't look at the shadow self. We don't look at what we're frightened of because it makes us dark, and that's where the growth is. That's where you really learn is when you look at the things that frighten you, but we we hide from them, and we don't allow ourselves to be tyrants. Where compassion and empathy come come on board is if you actually are a true tyrant. You don't really hurt people. Mm. You, you're not interested in, in hurting people. You move away from people if if they don't allow you to be a tyrant in your, let's call it our, our studio. You just get on with it. But because now, if I want to have an exhibition, I've got to do a certain kind of art. I'm not allowed to do an exhibition unless I do the kind of art that my gallery wants me to sell. So therefore, my answer to that is I won't make anything. So do you think the artist has a responsibility after the work is done or, or of responsibility beyond understanding themselves. Repeat. Do you think that the artist has a responsibility beyond understanding themselves? I think the artist has a responsibility to demonstrate understanding, and therefore to be a beacon of it for others. Okay. So you can't, and you can't do that without sharing. You can be witnessed. You don't have to share. You can't, sh you can't be a witness of something that hasn't been shared. That's the whole point. Well, let's try and find another word for share because so, so, so many... Um, Communicated? I, I'm a great believer in... Express? Sorry. I'm a great believer that an audience finds what it's supposed to find. And, and again, the, the, the great thing about the d democratization of sharing is that it's easy to get access to stuff where I think we all get hung up, is that we have to... Sharing is defined not by if you share, but by how many people have liked what you share. So you, you're only allowed in the pipeline if lots of people think what you shared is valid. I, wanna, I, want, I want to be in the Hindu part of that, which is where I go to a buffet and I get half of what I'm allowed, not all of it. I, I want to go to happy hour and have no alcoholic drinks instead of five alcoholic drinks. I, I want to be the... Um, the pauper at the feast, if you like. I, I just want to avoid getting into forced sharing, therefore forced valuation, therefore forced judgment, and therefore um, a vacuum of purity. I just, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not... It's just the way that I interpreted that was that you just have to do the work for yourself. And, and part, this is partly because of what you said. You just want to do the work for yourself, get a better understanding of God, and then slip into the stream without doing a service to the rest of the outside world. No, but I ache for the days of Rauschenberg and, and, and Basquiat. And, and so Rauschenberg was a failed figurative artist. He wasn't very good. And he tried... Uh, not No, um, he was a set designer. I'm talking about... Um, uh, the, What's his name? Um, the big purple and... Rothko. Red. Rothko. Failed figurative artist. He tried to be figurative artist for a long, long time and he just wasn't very good at it. And then, as a commercial exercise, he just painted these blocks of red and everyone went, that's amazing. So he suddenly became Rothko because he wasn't very good at being not Rothko. Yeah, he's defined by his limitations. By, yeah. Um, Basquiat was picked up by, uh, by, I think, the Green Gallery or whatever down and he, he was put in the basement by the woman because she thought he was cute given some canvases and she was like you can have a place to live and you can paint whatever you want as long as i get to keep them yeah and he, his work was patronized um bacon was a, a carpet designer francis bacon originally in charleston 
not many people have unrooted that, but he used to design carpets for interiors. And then he decided to teach himself to be Picasso. And he wasn't Picasso, so he became Bacon instead. Um, but none of it was defined by um, commercial success as we know it. Each of them was gravitating towards an itch that they can't scratch unless they make this. There's a you have an attachment to sharing, sharing with profit and the business side of it. Whereas I'm looking at it, I guess maybe more purely of like sharing as in communication. But but it's not more important than making. That's what I'm saying. It, but if you don't do it, then the making was pointless. No, because you learned something. Yeah. But for me, that's that's not enough. If Jesus that's or Muhammad or Rumi or whatever had shut himself off in a room and was like, it's greedy. I have all this information. It's not inspired by love. It's not inspired by a loving God that wants to share the universe. It wants to share energy okay, and potential. Cool. Perfect. Thank you for that in. Jesus and Rumi didn't share. They were shared. Jesus and Rumi did shut themselves in small rooms because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't global um, access to their teachings. They shared with very few people and they were very unpopular in their sharing at that time. But they were, they were not well, frightened. Rumi wasn't, but yeah. His name, was, his name literally means master. Right. People called him master. People loved him. Was, right. But Jesus, yeah, he was crucified. He was, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the point is the, the, their access to sharing was limited by their society and it was smaller and it didn't really matter whether people throw, throw stones or money because it was a different time back then. Yeah. So um, if we're talking about God, let's use Jesus. Um, he shared with a small group. And he stayed pure to his sharing. He, he, he had a message, he had a principle, and he had a decision that he was going to say these things, and it killed him. And he did it anyway, according to the stories. Everyone else shared him because of how, how, careful, how powerful his message was. So I'm not averse to sharing. I'm averse to um, sharing as the primary object of creation. Okay, primary motivation. Yeah, the motivation has to be what you learn. Yeah. And that's linked also to my belief in, in a deeper consciousness. I think that when you share through yourself, when your growth happens on a deep personal level, I am affected by it, yeah. even, even though you might not tell me. Look, go back to John Donne. Do not ask for who, whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. No man is an island unto himself. I really truly believe that we are all connected, that we have... Our physical body, we have our ego consciousness, we have our subconscious, and there's somewhere deeply buried underneath all of that, there is a collective consciousness that we're all connected to. And the purity that you speak of, that pure bliss that you're talking about when you feel love, is when you're deeply rooted in your collective consciousness where there is no evil. There is just pure, pure energy. We won't call it white, we might call it black. But just call it pure energy. Or, or, or pure is even too colourful a word. Simple energy, the simplest form of simple. Essence. Essence. Right down there, that's where peace exists, in essence. Mm. And if you can attach yourself, or if you can detach yourself from the idea of scale and the idea of story, I mean, the biggest problem with narratives is that they have a beginning, a middle, and end. Essence doesn't. So once you start detaching from the limitations of time, thought, brain, knowledge, experience, memory, and purely on listening to 
silence and hearing sound, that's when you start achieving gravitating towards essence and you're going all right all exists but we can't cope with that as a, as a as a species we can't cope the idea that nothing is greater than something it's very it's a hard concept to sell <sighs> because it's not it's not why not nothing occupies the exact same Limit not the exact same, but it still has limitations. No, there's no limitation to zero. It can be anything. But it's not. That's the whole point. That's the limitation. It, it's arising into potential, and that is that. That's all it needs to do. Yeah, it it lacks something, which is the limitation itself. So it, it's and just like we, just like um, something lacks is freedom. Is that the word? freedom from its limitations but we but they both still have limitations nothing is not greater than something this again goes back to my original point of mutual dependency we we can't in this conversation or any human conversation you can't you you can't get there because it's about faith ultimately i truly have faith that if i can become nothing i'll graduate if i can become as zero as Gandhi was, with all his human frailties. If I can become... I mean, Krishnamurti, for example, Krishnamurti was celebrated as being the next great coming of a guru. He rejected it. He rejected all formalized religion. And when he graduated from his training into the head of the society that, that um, he was developed for, he abolished it. He went, I don't believe in me, so I'm, I'm, I'm shutting this shit down. And he closed down the society. And then he went around the world for the rest of his life teaching us how to be nothing, teaching us not to believe in anything apart from nothing as a journey. And that, that's not nihilist. It's actually quite beautiful because it's all about potential. Graduate to what? To, to just being part of the channel instead of an instrument of it. To just being essence, to, be, to being pure nothing. But why would you ever want to leave here? Because this is hard. Being alive is hard work. My brother asked me last night, he was like, oh, how are you feeling? You know, you're right, mum's getting older. And I was like, yeah, yeah, she's closer. And you say that with some sort of glee. And I went, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm not suicidal and I'm not, I don't believe in taking yourself out of this life, but I'm totally aware that it's hard work living. I have great empathy for people who struggle because I know what it's like to struggle. What, what, where's the struggle? The struggle is, is living in, in a primal skin um, and witnessing people who hurt for no other reason than to create pain, knowing that inside that person who's creating that hurt is a pure soul, feeling empathy for their purity, but also feeling anger for their violence and feeling compassion for their victims, feeling great sorrow for the political systems that exist on the planet where there is no truth at all, anywhere, where no one dares speak the truth, where if one politician has an opinion, he hides it because another one might disagree with it. This lack of ability to be tyrannical in your passion, even... even 
I mean, controversially, I, I think Hitler had to exist. I think um, Nelson Mandela had to exist. And I think all spectrums of hate and love have to exist in order for us to gravitate towards graduation to get into the pure zone. So this idea that we can homogenize the human experience so that everyone's average and no one hurts anyone is super painful. It's hard work. But you're talking about graduating into a homogeny. That's this is where there's like a bit of dissonance in your argument. Graduate graduation into the pure zone. Purity is homogeny. Purity there's no division. There is no separation. That's homogeny. But separation in human terms is the, is the cause of all the problems. Separation is the cause of problem. That's, that's, we're here. What the fuck is going on? We're separated from nature. The universe is here, separated from purity. It's uh, a conundrum. Oh, no, that doesn't add up. The universe is separated from unity. The universe is separated from unity. How does that follow? Big Bang. That's what the Big Bang is. It's a separation from singularity. Unity, singularity, homogeny. It's all synonymous. It's all the same, describing the same thing. Totality. So you're wishing to graduate into totality, but then condemning the idea of making everyone on earth homogenous. So you're contradicting yourself. No, because the, the, the human... The, the, the human homogeny that we're talking about is the absence of essence where where society that is structured and controlled by a demonic hierarchy who wants to have all the assets but none of the um liabilities of existence and the homogeny is in in the lower groups where people who aren't clever enough or or aren't strong enough yeah they survive where in nature they wouldn't survive they'd just die so these hierarchical demons keep these poor um proles alive where in nature they would die so you've got this whole social structure that wouldn't exist in nature of people who shouldn't be here existing in poverty and misery where in a, in a, in in a, a savanna or in a, in a desert somewhere they'd die mm. so we don't live in any kind of pure state we, we we live in this fractured world of power and control and um unfairness i i, I do not enjoy unfairness there's a um and in the essential world, in the place I'm talking about, where essence exists, um, th th there isn't space for that because everyone is on the same level. Well, you're not. There's not everyone. The energy is pure, and it's just streaming through that channel. This graduation thing troubles me. Right. Seems resentful. No, there's no resentment. I'm looking forward to it. No, yeah, you're looking forward to it. Yeah. Which means that you have a bit of resentment about. What it is that you experience day to day? No, I don't. I don't resent it. I you just... can't look forward to a graduation without kind of looking back at school and being like, uh, uh, "It's great, but it ain't all that." No, I, I something I... better out there waiting for me, which I uh, need to become or move towards. It's very anti-Phil. Is it? Um, I, I'm not aware of resenting my existence per se. I'm aware of understanding how hard it is to exist in this world and I make it my purpose to try to demonstrate how to be a good human. That's, but that's a struggle. Yeah, that's hard work. How to be compassionate and empathetic, not sympathetic or um, condescending. I don't, I don't enjoy those attributes of so-called philanthropists who, who go poor them. I'm not, doesn't, I want to equalise my life with other people. 
again, there's a a bit of contradiction as well of where you say the problems with humans is that we think about ourselves or we give everything a beginning, middle and end. We give each give everything a narrative, but essence doesn't have a beginning, middle or an end. But then graduation suggests an ending. No, it's the, it's the, it's, it's, it's the ending of temporality. That's what we're talking about here. So the physical form, the reality that we live in is a temporal thing. It's temporary. The body is temporary. It will decay. The rose is temporary. It will decay. doesn't mean it's not coming back. But the idea of graduation, graduation is about how you level up and how you become closer and closer to the divinity, to, to how you become closer and closer to the, to the divinity we're seeking in art. That's what I'm talking about in terms of graduating. I'm looking forward to the idea of becoming better at being a pure artist, at being better at expressing myself clearly. Okay, I hear you. I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. Good, uh, good counter. <laughs> I, uh, I can't get past the idea of dying and not, not just waking back up into myself. That's, why, maybe that's because you're not doing what you want to do. No, it's because I am doing what I'm doing. That's the whole point. Is that I've experienced peace, truth, and beauty and all of these incredible rewarding things that I feel deeply as the purpose of being that there's nothing else other than the journey toward that same thing over and over and over again. Why are you doing it? There's a... there's Because a, I want to be... I want peace. I want to be fr absent. I want to be absent, yeah. I want to be free from from confusion. I want to be free from pain. I want to be free. I want to feel good. I well, want to feel, not be numb, not have to numb myself off because... But pain is part of feeling, surely. Pain is part of feeling, but what, what happens with pain is when it becomes too painful... You have to block it mind over matter. You, no, you have don't. to numb yourself to it. No, you don't. That's what we're trained to do because we don't want to face that pain. That's what S&M and sadomasochism and all of those rights are all about. They're all about people who have the, have the propensity to endure great pain because it is the same as great joy. It's, it's not for everyone, obviously, and it doesn't interest me, just for the record. It's also not, because it's, 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 it's joy on the dark end of the spectrum, because it's completely isolated. But again, why, why, why have we got to be, be complex and talk about a dark or light end of the joy spectrum? It's just joy. Why, why is dark joy wrong and light joy right? The tricky part of humanity is it has to have a narrative. If you take the narrative away and just deal in dark and light, until you equalise them and give space to both of them, you can't get anywhere. And that's why the Western model of the last couple of centuries is starting to dissipate because it can't go anywhere. The Eastern model, which has existed for thousands of years compared to the Western model, is coming back stronger because... It would say, and if I look at both of them, my my move is slightly eastern because they are accepting of the capacity of the mind to create reality rather than reality dictates what the mind thinks. It's all the wrong way around on the Western model. Yeah, um, I lean towards the Eastern mysticism and, and less towards the Western model. How much uh, sadomasochism do you get in East in the East? 
how much is sex attached to sex as the expression of joy? How much is that actually attached to pain? Sadomasochism is not limited to sexual expression anyway. It's just to do with pleasure and pain. It's to do with the line between anger and love, pleasure and pain, being so close, being able to put a piece of paper between those two emotions. We, we know that rage and joy are very closely connected. Yeah. Extreme, uh, extremes of any emotion are very close. So it's having the courage to look at them and go, oh, well, what's going on here? When I'm super happy, I vibrate like this. When I'm super angry, I vibrate like That's the same vibration. Okay, and are they the same thing then? It's the same vibration heading in a different direction. Why is it? Well, there is only one direction. No, there's not. Yeah, it's Harry, Nile. <laughs> <laughs> there is only one direction because you have rage and you have joy. There is... They're the same thing. They're not the same thing because they, they're expressed differently. So, so only in the way that this table is, is expressed differently to your flesh. If I beat you up now because I'm so angry, yeah. that's not the same as me hugging you. It ha there are implications in the real world that mean that they, they dictate what the future of reality will be in a different way. That's not a direction of a travel. That's um, a result of an action. That's a action is direction. That's... No. Mm, no, I don't. How? Prove that. Potential. Mm -hmm. Action moves potential. Mm. Action is travel. So everything is potential. If you're if you're the greatest artist in the world mm -hmm. and you're sat in front of a blank canvas, too afraid to pick up the pencil, you're just potential. There's no knowing what you could possibly do. But the act of picking up a pen or a pencil and drawing anything, mm -hmm. that's direction. Because your potential is now moving towards something other than stagnation. Or you're just joining the flow that is already going in a singular direction. But it's still movement. Yeah, but, but I'm saying everything moves in the same direction and you're saying they're pulling in opposite directions. In, in, a, in a pure essential world, I'm saying the direction of travel is singular, not dual. And you're saying it's all going in two directions, being torn apart. Yeah, but... Which is very human. Blake, that's all Blake was about. It's about this tearing apart and this tearing it's, asunder. It's, it's the Jungian idea that however far on the, on the side of enlightenment we must go and, and love, equally we'll be going in, this, in the same... Uh, for a tree to reach heaven, for its roots must also reach to hell. So actually it is like that. Mm -hmm. the, the deeper our understanding and compassion gets, the deeper our understanding of the reservoir of badness we understand. So it does go in two different directions, actually. If we're going to align with, you know... It's a circle though, isn't it? So they're growing to, the, the tree is growing towards itself, ultimately. Yeah. It's encompassed in a circle. So there's only one direction of travel, which is towards um, non-division, non-separation, which again is super, super Hindu-Eastern philosophy, is that we, we, we have to gravitate, graduate, elevate towards non-separation. The more we can... The ego, which you were writing about yesterday, the ego is just a defense mechanism. It's just how we relate to our physical state. It's not a true reflection of what we are or who we are. And um, the, the job of the artist in your context of your podcast is to work towards non-separation. And the only way you do that, you, you, there's no point going to Mexico and asking them to speak English. You've got to learn Spanish if you want to go and work with 
um, Mexicans. So in the same way, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to really understand heaven and hell, you've got to go to both places. You've got to understand what what hell is, like Dante, uh, like Dante, like any artist who is truthful. I mean, you've seen me go through hell when I'm creating something. It's a disastrous place to visit. I would not, I would not, not have gone. There's nothing about anything I've ever made, whether it be Amy or whether it was with you and the boys in um, Belgium or with Jan or with any artist I've ever worked with. There's nothing I wouldn't have visited, not a single place. Because in in the um, in the full glow of growth achieved, if you like, that shell... Um, broken out of that vulnerability experienced under the protective um, armor of my new shell, which I have yet to break out of, I have a lot to think about. And it's only in ruminating upon and trying to get the other side of all those experiences, trying to cease the tumble of memories that have created all the stuff that goes on in my mind all the time. When that's all died down and when I'm separated from that noise and when I can hear it sound, that's when I'll, I'll, I'll be ready to do the next thing, if you like. And that's how I think, anyway. That's how we, we grow. We, we break, we mend, we re-break, we re-mend, and it's, it's never-ending. Exactly, and then this is where we reach a mutual ground, I think. But then also, I, I also question, I feel... Like, uh, I feel like I, there is no non-separation. There is no eternity apart from this right here. So to want anything other than this is a futile endeavor because that this is it. Not necessarily in these forms, but this, what we're experiencing, with all of its hardship, with all of its trouble, with all of its externally unrewarding work, this is all there is. But it doesn't have to be. What? All there unrewarding is. Unrewarding and all there no, is. No, no, no. But the reward is internal. I said externally. You're not going to... Chances are you're, you're, you're put on a cross. You know, that's, that's, that's what... Best case scenario, you know, that's, a, that's what you can expect. Is that so bad, though? No, it's not. I'm not right. saying, I'm saying that's fine. But you're saying you can't wait to graduate past that, which I felt like was you deviating from scripture, from the plan, from the knowledge of that. It's just this, over and over and over again, the same trouble, the same... It's realizing that... In the, this lifetime, yes, but I don't think it is past this lifetime. I don't agree with that premise. I, th I think as you're... I mean, I don't know what I'm going to be next, and it could it, it, it could be nothing, it could be something, it could be an ant, it could be um, a past figure, it could be a future figure. It might not be human, I don't know. Um, but I know my energy will go somewhere. I know my father's energy is very present in me when I'm creating. I know um, that when I meet someone that I fall in love with, whether it's you or my son or m my lover or or whatever, I know that I've known them before. And that all, all my love for them is, is a reconnection of a, a knowingness, if you like. And I surrender to that. And I don't challenge it anymore. I used to. But one of the beautiful things about growing older is you challenge less and you accept more and you surrender often. And the ability to surrender often is the biggest gift that time has given me. Because I can go, 
I can wake up with joy and go, oh, what's today going to bring? And I'm less concerned. Of course, I'm human, so I'm like, oh, shit, no one's phoned me for ages about a job. I wonder if anyone's going to give me a job. I wonder if we're going to have any money. I wonder if we're going to pay the rent. All that stuff, which is just petty. But on an existential level, I'm grateful for the time travelled in this circle of breaking and mending and breaking again because it takes me closer to my graduation from this form, closer to a step closer to a step closer to the essence that I see in a rose. I would love to come back as a rose. What a beautiful thing. Or a thorn. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's so human to think that death is some kind of ending Hell is, hell is truly having no hope. And we live in a world right now that has very little hope. So, you know, great artists of history have said shit like hell is other people. But it's only other people when the other people have no hope. So when, when you think about the world we live in right now, which is so full of hatred and loneliness and isolation, all created by its own echo chamber of materialism and possession and success, it's no wonder there is so little hope. So my um, response to that is to have multiple bouts of hope, as many bouts of hope as I can, and hopefully my bouts of depression will be replaced by bouts of hope more consistently because I, I like you, get depressed at the system that we live in, the world that we live in, the lack of empathy that people show each other, the, the absolute obsession with material gain um, and... the lack of ability to live in community terrifies me and distresses me greatly. But the only way I can counter it, which is why I come back to the non-sharing sharing model, is the only way I can manifest hope is by being hope, mm. by showing hope, by making sure that I do little things every day that are hopeful, that I make sure that if I've got a knot in my stomach when I wake up, because I'm getting older and I'm getting closer to that blissful graduation that I'm terrified of, I act on it. I go, right, look at that little dark bit of fear that's in your gut right now. Where is it coming from? Don't look away. I, the thing I worry about sometimes is that people's hope and faith might be hoping that, like Bon Iver song, it might be over soon. That's my worry for people's hope and faith, that there will be some relief from this because I think that would lead to nothing but disappointment. The absence of hope is hell. I'm not saying don't have hope. My hope is that it's this over and over and over and over again and it differentiates with one tiny detail, like you said, and I get closer to some kind of understanding. That's what I hope for. I don't hope for etern I don't hope for nothing. I don't hope for unity or homogeny because I know that the separation, I know that the fragmentation is so necessary. Yeah, it's necessary to smash ingredients together to make a pie, yes. But the pie won't taste good if it's just salt and meat and flour not prepared properly. So the fragmentation is a process in order of which you make the pie or the cake, but it's not the purpose of, the, of those ingredients. You have to make something with it. So fragmentation is not um, the be-all and end-all. It's just part of the process. 
So, so you, you, you have to get the other side of fragmentation, which is reunification. When you put all that stuff together, you get, hopefully, a nicely made piece of cake. You get a light that switches itself on. You get a rose <laughs> that blooms. What happens to the cake? You eat it. No, you cut it up into different portions and then you share it with people. <laughs> you share it? Yeah. Yeah. But... You, but you, you've, you've, if you eat a whole pie to yourself... You'll be very sick. You'll be sick. But if you cut it up and share it... But again, it's all about balance. Again, Alan Watts talks, talks about um, rascality and about the, the propensity of man to um, be a little bit naughty. And he, and he, he compares it to um, dinner and salt. He says, you know, you don't eat a full plate of salt. That would taste terrible. But you put a little bit on, on your potatoes because it makes them taste a bit much better. And man's nature to be a little bit of a rascal is like just a little pinch of salt. You mustn't not have it. But again, we live in this weird society at the moment where any rascality, any, any little naughtiness is either celebrated and then destroyed, like we do with our pop stars, or just rejected. So the idea of looking at rascality and the idea of being embracing of your demons is 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 anathema to social society at the moment and it's a problem because you you can't you can't reunify anything if you don't look at it if you don't recognize it, you go right those bits of fragments it's like a jigsaw puzzle you put them together and you go all right that's done and then you put you put it apart again and you put it back together again um it's almost like any any act of uh any act of blasphemy is all right as long as you go. <laughs> yeah, but you've got this. You've got this. I've not known you to have this um, identifier as a god. I've not known you to have that. Until... I have. I have always had it because it's. You can call it whatever you want. You Just can look call... in the mirror. That's there's God. Exactly. But I can. What I'm saying is, I can act like there's nothing divine about me. But it's okay as long as I look back in that mirror and go. As long as, because then, then it's satire, then I'm just assuming a character. But as long as I keep one eye on God, whatever the, I don't know what I mean when I say that. You know, it's, it's But do you see what I'm saying when I'm talking about um, zero potential? The way you talk about God um, and the way church talks about God is this divine, we, we, we escalate divine. So do you. No, no, but I, no, I'm not talking about divinity as scale. I'm talking about divinity as the smallest possible thing. Divinity is tiny. Divinity is minuscule. Divinity is humility. That's what divinity is. I'm not talking about all powerful God who, who's got a big white beard and, and throws I'm not rocks out. I don't, talk, I, don't, I don't talk about God like that. But the propensity of, of the way we're taught about God and God and power is this masculine mainly, male. Uh, again, Alan Watts, he, um, it wasn't him, but he, he, God, what's the name of the, of, he did a, um, a speech and, he, and it was a, a woman, I th think, and um, I'll have to look it up for you, but he said, I've been, uh, I've met God and she is black. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant analogy because we are, we are stuck with this stereotype of God equals power equals masculinity equals um, fear equals. I just to, to disclaimer. That's not what I think. I don't think of a. It's how you speak, though. It's not. Well, um, okay, fair enough. But um, I don't. You you said in your earlier part of the you said you know if I do something wrong, God punishes me. That means God is powerful, more powerful than you, and has the ability to to deliver punishment. It's also like saying my brain is more powerful than me, which is true. My brain is more powerful than my I, than my rationalization of myself. Okay. 
you you can drive now, right? Yeah. How, what, what gives the um, Mini that you drive power? A combination of things, but the petrol, but me sparking the ignition and putting my foot on the gas. So who's got the power? You or the Mini? Me. Right, so your brain hasn't got any I'm power. I'm mutually dependent on... <laughs> Only if you the want the car use... to work. Yeah, if you want the if you want to if you want to use the car, you have to turn it on. Also, I use the car because it is more powerful than I. If driven by you, yeah. So you're more powerful than the car is just a tool. It's just a vehicle. The brain is just. I am just a tool. I am just a vehicle. That's our whole conversation, no? No, you're a channel. You're not a tool or a vehicle. You're a channel. So channel and vehicle are two. That that is synonymous. That's no 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 no. A vehicle is a, a, a vehicle. Well. You can use the semantics of a word again. Vehicle as in um, something that takes you somewhere or vehicle an instrument of his purpose or her purpose, however you want to talk about it. But let's go back one step because I'm, I'm, I want to define this God conversation because I recognise what you're talking about with God, but he he or she is not an all-powerful it. 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 For me, it's, again, getting back to this humble... Um, surrender of knowing how small we are. I'm about. I want. I want to start. I'm about to start work on a series. I'm, I'm just wondering how small I can get a photograph of a person onto a canvas, and how big I can have that canvas, so that the part of the person that's on the canvas is almost invisible. That so you can hardly see it, but it's a true picture of someone in the in the scale of of the rest of whatever the picture is. Because I really, all my instincts are is is the smaller I make myself, the more useful I, I become to myself. Yeah, that's literally humiliation. That's... It, but it's not a flagellant humility. It's it's um, it's again getting out of the way of the energy that wants to flow through, and becoming um, a channel rather than an instrument. I think we, as humans we get really wrapped up in the ego of being an instrument of his pleasure or an instrument of servitude, being a servant of beauty, even the, even the language becomes submissive. And I don't mean it submissively. I mean it in a really, um, the simplest of forms. How small can I be in order that I can have a, the biggest effect? If, if I demonstrate um, the, 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 the least gain from the most give, then perhaps I'm I'm doing something useful in in my work and in my life, so that when I graduate, I will graduate to something nextness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm troubled by the idea of God as a power, or as God as more powerful, because I think that's one of the fundamental problems with religion, is that people create this fearful God that they have to please and that alone, fear, creates power. If you've got someone frightened, you can you get power over them. And so as soon as you introduce a powerful God that is going to punish people, you can get control over them. Where if we make God the reflection of ourselves in the mirror, he's the, only, he's the only motherfucker you can't hide from. When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you've done something bad, if you don't look at it, you'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. When you look at yourself in the mirror... I don't, I I don't see me. I don't. I sometimes I don't even want to look in the mirror because I'm like I don't even know what I'm looking at. It creates this horrible feedback loop of where I'm not looking at what's in the mirror. I'm looking into my eyes and I'm like, what? What? Like, 
there's me going who, and then there's also something going just smiling like. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not speaking so much about physical mirror. I'm talking about the the, the look inwards. Yeah, but that's that's what happens when I look at, in the mirror. I am looking in. I'm not looking at the physical form. Right. Yeah. I'm looking in. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we're. And agreed. I'm getting to look at it into my own eyes. And there's a duality there because there's one person or one mind saying who, what, how, when, why, and then there's another person going, yep, just like just just. Just smiling, like there's the observer, and this is why I said to you yesterday in that text. But, but it goes back to the the premise of you cannot have insight without sight. You cannot have understanding without listening. So, you, but but the trick is, how can I get from seeing form to understanding feeling, and from hearing sound to to um, hearing silence? So it's, it's that place between listening and seeing where you're feeling more than your your eyes or your ears are doing their job. Beyond form, beyond sound, understanding. So it's, it's essential um, primal collective consciousness. It's getting in touch with that. So it's how to translate what your eyes see and what your ears listen to into what your soul feels. That's what I think I'm talking about. So it's, it's, it's that work. And that's where silence comes in. That's where... Art. Art comes in, and that's where, where, where the humility to look at yourself and understand yourself and not judge yourself. And by not judging your errors, learn how to graduate from them into less errors so that your system's clean. That's, that's an interesting journey, I think. Is a, the interesting th- thing is, the, is being broken but proud being fragmented but regal like the perfectly imperfect that's the once you're okay with that then you're in some kind of paradise and you actually don't ever want to be part of a a whole do you know what i mean like yeah yeah, but what what you're describing is actually a whole person because it's it's understanding the broken parts that makes you whole yeah for sure so you're not really broken at all because once you recognize um, all the darkest parts of your broken soul, you, you're, in, you're bulletproof because no one, can, no one can hurt you or challenge you because you go, yeah, I know. I know I'm a fragment. I know that this is pointless. I know I'm not going anywhere, but I'm still trying and I'm still in process and I'm still accessing what I believe to be the pure essential channel. But then, okay, so this is more like, I guess this is more like therapy now. But I, I'm what I'm asking is, or what I'm trying to express is that when I look in the mirror, I have got the me who asks the questions mm-hmm. and goes who, what, when, he, why, how. And then there's another voice that goes me. There is a supreme in there. And that's what I, that's what I mean when I call God is the supreme sun that beats down on my back, but also inside the back of my head my spirit my i'm in communication with my spirit and it's like it's like in 2001 space odyssey where they see the monolith and it's all powerful all knowing all encompassing that's the relationship i have with my spirit and that's the the relationship i that has rewarded me the most even though it's terrifying and all of that stuff it's the it's the one that has better equipped me 
to embrace attorney. What's the question? The question is... Well, it's not a question, really. That's just, that's just my justification. Okay, so my response to that is stop asking questions and start listening to answers. So don't just listen instead of asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you say who, why, what, when, and the reflection says me, wait. See what's coming. When the reflection says me, what that suggests to me on an a armchair psychology point of view is there is a voice in you that isn't being heard and he wants his time in the sun and you're, you're hogging the sun. And every time he pops up, you ask him a question, and he's like, uh, 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 and you ask him another question, and he's like, uh, 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 and you ask him another question, and you're like, uh, 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 and you're like, oh, you're useless, and you leave him alone again. That's why he's lonely. That's why God is lonely because you all you've got is questions for God, and you never wait for the answer because you've got another question. That's what I'm. That's what I'm witnessing. Fair enough. Nice to be on the other end of a breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> is it a breakthrough? Maybe well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Listen, I'm the worst one for um, as an interviewer. I've I'm, I'm I've tried to practice listening, but I've got a lot of questions. And I think um, when I watch the great gurus, listening to them, if you look up um, Eknath Isawaran or um, or Krishnamurti, who I'm really obsessed with at the moment, of course they're all flawed, and of course they're all proposing an opinion, but hidden inside all of that. Um, mud are these little pearls and you've just got to keep your eyes open and keep your ears open get past noise hear sound not words that's really that was when he said that yesterday i was like wow okay so you want me to listen to not the words listen to what i'm saying but not the words that's gold that's like okay and when you watch the when you watch it you, you'll see he gets really cross with this very venerable woman He's like, you're not, stop asking stupid questions. Listen to what I'm thinking, more or less. And there's a great beauty in that because what he's, the, the proposal is on the, on the edge of nihilism because it's like nothing's going to happen, nothing's ever happened, and it's all gas. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow because it takes away divinity it takes away purpose, it takes away joy, it takes away anger, and we end up with your homogeny. But maybe that's the purpose. Maybe before the Big Bang, the universe was all right, and there was some disruption in the time-space continuum, and a Big Bang happened, and it fucked everything up. Once you start getting into that territory, you get into genocide. No, 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 you no, do. no, 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 I'm not, no, because we are where we are. You, you, you adopt the same patriarchal, toxic, religious uh, fundamentals of that we are imperfect and impure. You might as well go be a Jehovah's Witness. No, that, no, no, that no, we no, are no, in, no, 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 no. Go, like, go on, I'll come, I'll come back. That we are in some kind of uh, shithole and, and we just need to basically get out. No, I didn't say we have to get out. What I said was... Perhaps that pure line that I've been talking about, and again, pure is that simple line that I've been talking about, that simple energy process was all right, Jack. The Big Bang happened, fractured something, and this is where we are. That's not a judgment on where we are. That's just a statement of, of 
okay, is this what happens? Does things get thrown up in the air and it all lands and then we as beasts of the field from monkeys to animals or whatever, we have to find our place in it, find our way through it and get on with it. And then whatever happens, the dinosaurs get extinct because there's a, another asteroid hits the Earth and they all get wiped out. And then another kind of society works up. My geologist friends, uh, when they talk about climate change, which would be super unpopular, go, it was happening anyway. It's just got a bit quicker, but only a bit quicker, not massively quicker. And the planet will right itself when it writes us off it. So it's, it's, it's not, I'm not being a nihilist and I'm not proposing genocide. I'm just saying... We need to chill the fuck out on t in terms of our illusion that we're in control of something here. It's a very, very simple, simple truth. There was nothing. Something happened. There is something. It might not be here forever. We don't have a job in it. Okay. And there's a big division here between us. Yeah. There was nothing. There is something. I'm going intention and you're going mistake. And that is... That is such a, that is a fracture. And that is a, a great example of the two perspectives that one could adopt on life. All great art is a mistake. All great art is, is a, a mistake that was intentionally set up. I'm going to create a space where a mistake can happen. Doesn't make the mistake not a mistake. It doesn't mean there isn't intention. It doesn't mean that you haven't, prayed to the muse to allow you to get out of the way enough to make what we call a mistake. I, I'll accept that. But again, your, your, um, your default position is to create a romantic sensibility from a god to a muse to an intended path as if there was any control in it, which there isn't. And, and my position is shit happens. Shit works itself out we're not in control. But if we're lucky and we wake up and go, oh, look, shit happens, shit works itself out, we're not in control, what can I do? It's a Terence McKenna quote that I, I was, a talk I was listening to the other day. And he's like, if you were to describe to me the most improbable of improbabilities, what you would tell, what you would come up with is the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more improbable than the Big Bang. And therefore... Which means it'll happen again. And therefore, we always look at life, at life and time as this thing that's being pushed from behind out into space instead of something that is being pulled from the future. And when I heard that, that was like, that was almost religious and a religious experience for me because it's, first of all, yeah, there's community in that. So in, in knowing that somebody else sees the world the same way that I do, but also the postmodernist idea that, that it was, it's all for nothing, that it's, it was a result of some accident thus encoding into our psyches that we are children of some illegitimate, unintentional one-night stand, you know, devoid of love, devoid of actual any intention. And we get into the mess that we're in in the world now where there are the, the beacons of hope are so few and far between and the amount and the rivers of shit are running uh, very strong. So when... So the... That, for me, is a step from chaos towards order of realizing that 
it's like it's it's a a flaw in thinking what great beauty you just spoke about because if you take that as a premise if we go back to your god your god doing what i suggested is an out and out um nihilist he's not a nice god the god that you're talking about if the big bang created this accident and he's experimenting he's he's not benevolent or beneficent he's a tyrant He's not, he's uh, again yeah. back to actually ty- tyranny is fine. Democracy actually is the thing that gets us in trouble. But but let me take it further. The great beauty of the human condition is we can prove him wrong. Ah, see now that's proven wrong based on the assumption that he is malevolent, right? No, you said we are the result of some loveless, illegitimate, illegitimate cosmic one-night stand. Let me, let me take it which, further. Which is what you're saying. Yes, yeah. you, you, but that's how you described it, and I like yeah. that description. The human race, the planet, life in the universe as we know it, in our little bit of it, is a result of a loveless, illegitimate one-night stand, a big explosion, and shit, we've got a baby, and it's life. Yeah. The great beauty that we have, the potential to follow, should we be brave enough and courageous enough to be artists is to find love in that loveless marriage of chaos, is to find purpose in that nihilism. And that, I think, is part of what we're talking about here. So we're, if, if life and the planet is a result of this illegitimate one-night stand, this explosion of, of power and um, sexuality that created life, we're a bastard. But we have a choice then as a bastard because we have sentience. We can either become another bastard and create more illegitimate children or we can become the best father ever. That's where the moralists come into it. Let's maybe create the ideal father figure and basically indoctrinate people with that. It's not about the creation of morals. It's about the revelation of the morals that already exist. So if there's something that already exists... Why do they already exist? Because it's innate. Because we're not bastards, we're actually the product of love, of of of. A, well, we just said we weren't. We were no, in... I've always this whole conversation. I've been saying that there's intention, there is love, and there's compassion. From where? Where's it coming from? This is this is the. If you believe that we are the bastard child of an illegitimate one night stand, which is what a meaningless, <laughs> a, a meaningless chaotic universe is. That mm-hmm. this is all a mistake, and there's no intention then there can't actually be any nature there can't be any uh there can't be any spirit there just cannot whereas if you're forged in love then you can start to reveal peel back the layers and reveal what's underneath reveal what's driving the essence because otherwise it's just dead potential floating through space but no we grow we evolve. We can't... So do weeds. Yeah. Well, you pluck them out. Yeah, but, I mean, you perceive... Uh, that's all perception, you know. Yeah, weed. but what, what I'm talking about is before God, there was simple energy. Yeah. After God, there was chaos, hatred, war, and um, conflict. Yeah. So what we what, if we want to live in peace... We've got to get to that time before God again. And before God, when there was simple energy, there was, there was an absence of the limitations of time, thought, brain, knowledge, experience. 
memory. There was an absence of that because it didn't exist. So where, where meditation and where those Eastern mystic um, philosophies come from is let us graduate to a time before God, a time where love, pure, simple energy, was all there was. But there's no nirvana there. And this is, this is where the expectations of the romantic, like you, come up against the um, pragmatist like me, because you want a reward for love. I don't want a reward. Right. Apart from the opportunity to just keep giving, that's the only reward one can ask for, is the opportunity to go again. I don't want a trophy. But if we, if we follow the path of what we're talking about, if we're, if we're trying to, to follow the path back to before God, you've got to get back to simple energy, and that's where nothing lives. So therefore, the, the price of peace is nothing. Like you said, something has to knock into it to send a wave, mm -hmm. right? So there's actually two things in nothingness for, for, for all of this to come anyway. If something knocks into it, then there's two forces. There's no singu there's singularity. So, so there's the big question then. What, what, what essence was intercepted by what to create life? So if, if there was this pure, simple energy, this simple, simple nothingness, what intercepted it to create life? That's, and you're calling it God. Yeah, but I'm not talking about the patriarchal... No, 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 no. ...white beard. And... But this, for the sake of this conversation, that's what he's been. And I'm trying to, de de I'm trying to demote him. I don't, I don't want God in the way of, of my spirituality. He's, he's toxic. For me, the idea that we're this illegitimate product of a mistake. I mean, it's probably because that's what I was in my mum's lineage. Okay, that's painful then, right? It's not painful. I don't... I've heard my mum say that I was a mistake. Like, I've overheard Same. that conversation. Yeah. And for me, it's not... I have no pain attached to that. I remember even when I heard her say that... I didn't feel anything. I was like, it didn't resonate with me because I know that, first of all, it's not true. Even as a child, I was like, well, what mistake? Do you know what I mean? I was the best thing that ever happened to you. You'd probably be fucking dead by now if you didn't have someone, somebody else to think about. So there's no, there was no pain attached to it at all. It literally went straight over my head. Mm -hmm. uh, but my brother, my little brother, who probably has heard or felt the same things, he, he actually internalizes it and, and maybe feels like, his place on the earth is, isn't legitimate. But for me, there's never been such thing as a mistake. Even in art, a happy accident, you'd call it, it's, there's still intention behind it. I'm still in front of the canvas. I still had to have the fucking balls, the drive, the will, to plug the microphone into the preamp, to load up my project, my latest song, to get the pen and paper out, to fucking breathe and get the vibration out of me, I still had to show up for the mistake to be mm -hmm. manifest. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. But that's just intention. Exactly. Yeah. There's no mistake. Even when... Mm, I, no, e there's still a mistake because you don't know what you're going to make with your intention. Okay. So it was my intention to make a mistake. No, your intention was to make. Full stop. Period. It. That's it. My intention is to step up to the mic. What happens when I get there? I have no idea. I might write um, a Lennon song or I might write um, Saturday Night by Wigfield. Who knows? 
I could be a Beatle or I could be a... Um, a, a or I could be Bono. I could be... I know he'd like you to say I'd that. be like Bono. <laughs> yeah, I mean... For an hour. No, you could be Cheeky Girls or you could be Lennon. You know, it's it's, it's horses for courses. You, you don't really know where... I mean, again, we, we were talking about One Direction earlier, but I look at Niall and um, Harry right now, and they're trying really hard to make good music. And they're products of a boy band. And most people would laugh at that. But Niall is writing seriously and authentically with great intention to try to write his voice. Same with Harry. So um, how you get where you're going is not really the point. It's having intention to get there. You can't dictate whether or not it's going to be a mistake or 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 um, a success, or, or even if those two things are the same. It's the purpose and the intention that will save you, not the result of the making. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is how you end up with my philosophy and my perspective of... Uh, I see a universe of no mistakes. All I see is intention. All I see is a will to power. That's all I see in absolutely everything. Even in the most broken of people, even in death, I mm -hmm. see a process of change that occurs afterwards that I see that even in death, things still grow. Things still are fertilized. Like So I, I don't see a lack of intention anywhere. I don't see not, a mistake not, anywhere, which means that I can't, just assume that meaning or whatever is for my creation, but actually meaning is for my uncovering. It's to go into that spot of observation of where of what all good art puts me in and being like, oh, okay, cool. I see. I understand. You can't, there can be no compassion and no understanding if there is no intention. What did you say? There can be no compassion or understanding without intention. Yeah. Understanding of what? Anything. You can't understand anything by mistake. You have to open yourself up. You have to let go. Even in the letting go... The surrender. E even in the surrender, there is intention. It, even if it's just the, the intention to, to, to loosen your grip. So you don't go like that by mistake. The, the reason why all of life up until this point has been permeated and almost defined by conflict and fear... And we're at the point of where we find ourselves now is because we just woken up. And the only reaction to light and being and life is what the fuck, need to protect myself, need to cover myself. Everyone get away. Let me figure out what's going on first before I, before I engage in anything. We've just woken up to the idea that there is a meaning and that there is a purpose. No one chills out. No one lets people in. If they believe that they're an illegitimate bastard, they get greedy. They get uh, selfish. They get defensive. Because if you don't believe that your life is permitted, then you're going to be paranoid and thinking that every opportunity that or every moment that passes, it can be taken from you. And you get the world that we live in now, and you get the history that we've had. And you get these flashes of brilliance every hundred years or every thousand years or whatever that offer an unveiling of the truth, which is you you pull the layer of, of fear and of uncertainty away, and you look into the eyes of truth and of beauty, and you realize it's all intentional. I, I, for so long, I thought I was a bastard. I thought I was illegitimate. Actually, it's all 
purposeful. It's all forever. There's no, there's nothing to be taken away. Yeah, we're not arguing about that though, because life, life by, by accident has um, a cycle, and it repeats because we are here, and it, life does exist. The planet does exist, and animals and lions and blah blah, it all exists, and it all repeats. So that that's not in contention. What what I'm hearing with what you're talking about in terms of how we live now is the conflict and the fear is a creation or a result of dishonesty in living. So nowadays, everyone can be anything and should be and should aspire to be and have the most of everything. That's what the world says. That's what society says. But if you look at primal societies, everyone is whatever they need to be for the society to work. So one person will be a witch doctor because they're good at it. One person will be the main hunter because they're good at it. One person will be the king because they're the strongest. One person will be the mother because they can bear the most children. One person will be the shaman. One per yeah, exactly. One person will be the entertainer or the clown because they're funny and they make people laugh. So in primal societies, in simple society, everyone has a job and they stick to it. They stay in their lane. They don't aspire. If you're not a good comedian, you don't decide to take the job of an entertainer. But now, read the Joker. You look at the Joker now. It's a perfect indication of primal society not being adhered to because he wants to be the best comedian and he's not funny. But the world's told him that he should be able to be anything he wants, so he gets angry and he starts killing people because he, he's, he's not allowed to be funny. But he's not funny. And no one's honest enough to say to him, but you're not funny. So this, the, the problem here is that you can't, you can't live in a, in a universe of intention and purpose and not be tyrannical... That's impossible. Intention is defined by need in, in primal societies. So what, what the society needs, it finds. So if it hasn't got, if some random wolf comes into a pack and he's good at something, the first I'll try and chase him out. But if he does a job that another wolf who's died did before and he's good at it, he'll be, he'll be integrated because they need him. So they let him in. And in the same with lions, when, when a pride is taken over by another lion, he comes in and he goes, right, am I stronger than him? Yeah, let me kill him. And if he manages to kill him, he takes over the pride and, and so on and so forth. So intention is a result of need within primal societies, not a reason for being. Yeah. The idea I'm trying to express is that at one point we were in harmony with our nature. needs and our nature. And then at whatever point, if you, maybe, you, maybe you'll pinpoint it to agriculture, we got tired of not having freedom, of not having the choice to be a terrible comedian or a terrible singer or, a, you, you know, the multitude of uh, juxtapositions, the unfunny clown, like, essentially. And we decided to start dominating. We decided to start taking things that weren't necessarily ours. Simpler. Go back simpler. Well, that is. That's, that's agriculture. Mm. It's domination over nature, which is... No, it's domination over, over tribe, first of all. So so you've got to maybe think a bit more like viral um, conditions. So um, on the planet, viruses survive by uh, parasitically taking over hosts and killing them so they can survive off of the fuel that that host provides, and then it moves on and takes another one. Parasitical viruses do that. And mankind is a kind of a parasitical virus, in essence. Yeah. Because from tribal systems forward, once the tribe had grown to a... Once it realised it could grow to control an area, 
and it bumped into another tribe. He was like, well, we better take over that tribe to protect our tribe. So then they took over that tribe and then the tribes got bigger and bigger. And then you start getting massive societies which are based then on subprime mortgages, no, subprime feudal systems where different kings in different lands talk to each other and you start getting these hierarchies. And that's how society, as I understand it, might be wrong, grew into this sort of global system that we have. And it's all based on keeping the, the beneficently at the first, keeping the tribe together, but then having to control the tribe once it got too big to just keep it together because anyone could talk to the king and say, King, why am I doing the washing up this week? Well, because Mandy's off, whatever that situation is. So then they had to create a system of fear so that they could control the tribe because you'd demonstrate how much you're going to kill the one who doesn't, who does step out of line, blah, blah, blah. So then fear became a mechanism to control society and to make sure that the tribe could survive and grow and take control of other tribes. And then you get into democracy and into control of societies, don't you? Yeah, I think the idea maybe that I didn't express well enough was that once you get into the idea of play your position, play to your needs, you get into the philosophical question about freedom and if and if uh, freedom is uh, possible and then people start losing their minds because they don't want to live... What position are you in football? Striker. You wouldn't thrive on the wing. You wouldn't thrive in goal. You'd thrive on... And if the goalie was a crap striker and they said, Kane, he, he wants to have a go, you'd be like, we're going to lose the match. Yeah. And if you're the captain and the striker, you'd say, I'm really sorry, I'm the striker, I'll score more goals, he's staying in goal. The goalie wouldn't get out and go, wait, no, I deserve to be the striker this week. The team's got to win. <clears throat> and society doesn't do that. Right now, if the, if the goalie wants to be the manager and the striker and sit on um, the bench for half the match because he wants to, it's his human right to do it, society says he can. So the team loses. Yeah. Because we've lost the ability to stay in our lane. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. It's just what... what it's it's play... I can't really remember what we're talking about anymore. But, um, Typical of us. Yeah. It was more just about, like, uh, well, we, 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 int intention and their being... Intention versus need, yeah. But, but also, no, intention is need. You can't have need without intention because... Of, that's the whole point. That's what I'm trying to make. Intention and need are part of the same conversation. Because if you have no need, if you live in a universe devoid of intention, then you have no needs. Well, then you have postmodernism. Nothing matters. You can be a goalkeeper, striker, captain, penalty taker, and on the bench and the manager at the same time. Because no one has to win. Because no one has to win. Because there's no game. Because there's nothing happening. Nothing is real. Like, nothing matters. That's heaven. That's, that's, that's not. Because... You don't like the society that we live in, I'm guessing, by the way that you're talking about it. So actually, it's not heaven. But that's why Rilke said every angel is, is jealous of a human because angels have nothing to do apart from sit on clouds and be perfect. Yeah. They've got no flaws. They've got no um, nothing, to, nothing to manifest into something better. So to the angelic condition is much worse than the human condition because we have struggles to go through. We, we, our intention is to become better at being humans. But again, we seem to have lost that because we refuse to look at what we're not good at. And why is that? I don't know. 
because we live in a postmodern society where, like, like Nietzsche lamented, God is dead. Not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. Our intention, our purpose, and our meaning has gone out of the window, and now we live in a world like you just described, where it's like, oh, wait, what? Yeah, I think it's probably correct. We 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 don't we don't survive to thrive and to better ourselves because it's all lies nowadays. It's all it's all um, it's a dishonest world we live in at the moment. That's why it's so difficult to um, get through it people have forgotten the, the the essential idea of being pure to purpose and to find intention around what you're doing without necessarily... Where we're disparate is I think intention and purpose are rites, R-I-T-E-S, of passage that need no reward and no result. They're processes where where you describe it more as as creation of an object to be shared and to be celebrated or to be decried or whatever whereas I'm much more interested in getting back to intention as purpose as a process of learning internal than uh, sharing external I think the sharing external the celebration and the ego are the biggest problems of of the society we live in because we've created this structure where, first of all, it's do your best, be the best. And if you can't be, you won't be successful. Then that didn't really quite work. So now it was like, try your best and we'll celebrate you anyway. Now it's be your worst and we'll celebrate you anyway. So it's a race to the bottom. It's like, you're shit, but we're not going to tell you that because it'll hurt your feelings. So you, we're or telling you'll you get us in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, you best be able to, um, you, you can be anything you want to want be. And that's why so many young people have been sold a lie. They're like, I can be anything. No, you can't. The world doesn't work like that. That's a lie. But we, we're sort of gone into a weird place now. Yeah. I just try to pinpoint, we both agree that somewhere along the line, somebody started lying. Something... On a social structure level, yeah. Well, but it, the social structure begins in the individual. A lie is so much easier to sell, that's why. Yeah, I know, I'm not, I'm not agreeing, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that. I believe it. It's so much easier to believe that life is an accident, that the Big Bang is, is, was just a mistake, than it is to believe in, a, in, a, in a, an eternal power that has a, an intention. It's so much easier to believe in the Big Bang than it is to believe in eternity, because the Big Bang is a narrative. Whereas eternity is it's absolute madness, but the, the and that's just what I'm trying to to get at. If the rose knew it would only bloom for one summer, would it? It comes back to singular, simple moral compass. It comes back to that single channel of facing yourself in the mirror, knowing who you are, and not being bothered or concerned with how other people see you. Back to Martha Graham. Your job as an artist is to not to judge yourself, not to compare yourself, but just to be a channel. Let it come through you. Don't question it. Get on with it. Be an artist. And we get, we're way too muddled now with how people respond to our work. That's not why I'm, a, I'm a, a, um, averse more than ever to sharing, because I, I feel I'm rushed into sharing something 
that I don't even know what it is yet myself. I think, you know, sometimes it takes two or three years to make something good. Sometimes it takes a decade. You know, Blake or, or Bacon, the paintings lasted for years and maybe two canvases a year. Now everyone's got to have an ex exhibition every six months or, a le or, or, a, or an album every year if you're going to stay current. So there's this, this acceleration of the lifetime of our rose, our little rose. It's, now it's not even there for half a day. And when you watch a rose for a week, it changes dramatically and it's beautiful. Well, then let's wrap that up there because okay. it's been quite, it's been quite a, a while. Long. I don't even know what the fuck was, what's just happened. It feels like it's been about 45 minutes, but I think it's been about three hours. Time. Time. Um, but thanks for... Thank you very much for inviting me. I'll be interested to see what you put together from that. See you in five years. Yeah. <laughs>